I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because I love this moment. It is a privilege to be able to deliver God's word to you. Uh, David would say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord, Elder Evil. I was glad when they said to me, Putra, let us go into the house of the Lord. Frankie, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Donald, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm not sure where you are, but I hope you're excited because God is about to tell you something today. God is about to deliver a message for your soul. And I pray that you may not look at a man. I don't know how you evaluate me. I don't know how you see me. It don't matter. But God is about to do something for you. And if you will open your heart and your mind, God is going to speak to you. Uh, We are in this series called Recycled Grace. And last week we uncovered an important concept behind the book of Judges. By the way, for those of you who are joining here for the first time, this series for the entirety of uh, the time for maybe next eight weeks, well, seven weeks now, this is week number seven, week number two, uh, I'm going to spend time in the book of Judges. I chose this book because I see God recycle his grace again and again and again. Your story is in this book. So I want to encourage you that take time, study with me in the book of Judges. If you're interested for a more detailed analysis, approach me. But I want you to spend time with me week to week. We're going to uncover, unpack this book. And I want to use this concept, Recycled Grace. And last week we understood something. Israel is given a mission by God to dispossess the inhabitants of the land. But instead of doing the work that God called them to do, they left it unfinished. They were not able to finish the business that God had given to them. Uh, I want to build upon that thought this week, uh, today, and help you to see how God reacted in full detail to their unwillingness to finish the business that God had asked them to do. Uh, I'm basing uh, today's sermon on Judges chapter number two. I'll be preaching beginning in verse number seven, all the way to verse number six of chapter three. And now I'm not going to spend time on every particular verse because that could mean that we're going to be here until this evening. And I'm sure that some of you don't want to be here until this evening. I don't either. You know what I'm saying? But we're going to spend time in this section of the book of Judges. And I really want to read beginning in verse number 20 all the way to verse number 23. And if you have your Bibles, could you just say amen out there? Amen, room. This is my church. I love these guys because they're keeping me going. Uh, Verse number 20 of Judges chapter 2 says, So the anger of the Lord burned, burned, against Israel and he said because of his anger because this nation has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. 
So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. For the purposes of this sermon, allow me to read verse number 21 and 22 one more time. And please pay attention. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Why? In order to test Israel by them. The Lord impressed me to tell you, tested by failure. Tested by failure. Whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. The sermon is called Tested by Failure. Let us pray. Oh God, I thank you for this moment because it is yours. And may you take it and utilize it to your glory and your honor. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Tested by failure. The issue is never failure. The issue is never failure. The issue is what you do with the failure. The issue is don't let your failure go to waste. I want to borrow the words of J.K. Rowling in her speech to Harvard students. And she made this fundamental remark. It is impossible to live without failing at something. Unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all. In which case you fail by default. The issue is never failure. The issue is what I do with the failure. The issue is I should not allow failure to go to waste. Recycled grace exists because of human failure. Many of us fail. Many of us fall on our faces. Many a time we are back to our old habits. Yes, those things we said we wouldn't do. But I'm glad that my failure doesn't have to define me. I'm, I'm glad that my failure doesn't have to demarcate my destiny. I'm glad that my failure doesn't have to direct the trajectory of my life. I'm glad that I can take failure and transform it into a benefit for myself. And the book of Judges will help you to see that God is not afraid. God is not daunted. God is not wearied by your failure. Now, now check this. Even though Israel failed, even though they failed to finish the business, even though they didn't go all the way, God would use their failure to benefit them. Let me be absolutely clear. Israel's failure was not physical. Israel didn't fail 
because they did not meet a KPI. Israel didn't fail because of a diet program. Israel didn't fail because they slept late. Israel didn't fail because they didn't dress a certain way. Israel didn't fail because of failing to reach a certain goal. Israel didn't fail because they got a divorce. Israel didn't fail because they got into debt. Israel didn't fail because they were discouraged. Israel didn't fail because of doubt. Their failure was not physical. Their failure was spiritual. Israel failed because they didn't trust God to take them over the mountaintop. Israel failed because they allowed their enemies to remain in the land. Israel failed because they allowed idol worship to remain. Israel failed because they followed Canaanite practices. Israel failed because they settled for half victory, not full victory. Israel failed because they let temptation hang around. Israel failed because they made a truce with sin. One writer says, when you became a Christian, God declared war on sin's stronghold in your life. Uh, let me say that one more time. When you became a Christian, I'm not saying when you were born a Christian. I'm saying when you became a Christian, that is the day you said, I'm going to be baptized. When you said, I ba I'm, ba I'm being baptized, you declared allegiance to Jesus and you declared war against sin. That is, you said, sin and I, we're no longer friends. Sin and I, we're no longer buddies. Sin and I, we're no longer going to hang out in the same place. Sin and I are, are frenemies. We hate each other. So hear me carefully. You can't afford to make a truce with sin. You can't afford to make a truce with anger. You can't afford to make truce with pride. You can't afford to make a truce with lying. You can't afford to make a truce with, with temptation. You can't afford to make truce with sin. You must make sure that you are waging a war against sin. I'm here to tell you that God has called you to a spiritual victory. You see, the reason why God asked the Israelites to take out the Canaanites out of the land because it was not just an eviction practice. It was really a sin destruction mission. God wanted them to understand that I have saved you to serve me. And you cannot serve me if sin is in the way. I don't know who this is for. But as long as you are allowing sin to count out to you, as long as you're allowing sin to operate and maneuver in your life, as long as sin is still a friend, as long as sin is, I don't, it's not good, but I like it. As long as you have that attitude, you are not going to overcome and you're going to experience spiritual failure. 
Israel failed because they made a pact with sin. They made a truce with sin. Now, you, you really need to unpack why they made this pact with, with sin, why, why they did this. And in verse number seven of, Josh, of Judges, we begin to see that Israel abandoned God. That is, as long as Joshua and the elders that lived with Joshua were living, they were faithful. As long as the old generation, the old God, the forefathers were around, they were faithful to God. They lived on borrowed faithfulness. But when they died, they turned away from God. They abandoned God. They said, you know what? That's an old style religion. We need a new kind of religion. You see, our forefathers, they worshiped God, yes. But it was too hard. They had to bring animals for sacrifice. It was too hard. They had to wait by faith for a prayer from God. We are tired of that. We are a new generation. It is a new season. It is a new time. It is a new context. We are a new generation. We are not like them. Did it old-fashioned. Like old-fashioned oats. We want instant experience. We want something new. So what they did is the new generation decided to start something new. They got away from tradition and started a new kind of vision. They got away from the old worship and they instituted a new kind of worship. So what they did is, Elder River is, they started to worship Baal, meaning master, and Ashtoreth, his wife. What, what it was like this, Baal was the God who controlled the weather. He was in charge of growing the crops. And Ashtoreth, his wife, was in charge of giving them fertility. In other words, when they worshiped Baal, their, their farms were prosperous. Business was good. <clears throat> when they worshiped Ashtoreth, that, that, when they worshiped Ashtoreth, they were blessed in the bed by having a lot of kids. What a wonderful, uh, 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 what a wonderful agreement. You worship Baal, business is good. You worship Ashtoreth, the bed is good. So it was fun. And what made it so interesting was this. It was a God they could touch. It was a God they could feel. It was a God they could see. Yeah, God delivered our forefathers from Egypt. We didn't see that. Yeah, God dropped manna in the wilderness. It ain't happening today. But we can see Ashtoreth. We can see Baal. God, we can't see him. He can't speak to us. And so they wanted an experience, a religious experience that levitated and elevated their senses. They wanted something that was, 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 was good and, and something that they could, they could touch. Something that they could feel. 
God was just too distant from them. Now you, you might say, Rorivo asked me earlier, Pastor, I don't understand what was so, um, what was so attractive to worshiping these gods. How come Israel seemed to go back again and again and again to these gods? What was so attractive? Uh, here it is. It was attractive because they could see it, they could touch it, they could feel it. And just before you say, wow, the Israelites were so bad, you and I operate the same way. We can touch our cars, we can touch our laptops, we can touch our homes, we can touch our money, we can touch our shoes, we can touch our clothes, we can touch our degrees, we can touch our medals after being promoted, but God, we can't touch him. Therefore, money is a God because we can feel it, we can operate it, we can maneuver it, we can use it. Just because we can touch it, therefore it is attractive. But God is so distant and so idolatry works because you can manipulate it. You get to be God. You get to direct things. I want more money, so what do I do? I can either go to the bank, rob the bank, or I can work myself to the bone, I get more money, or I can make business deals or make packs that I, I, I can get more money and I can be able to control that. Some of us, we love uh, uh, fame. Uh, we love prestige. And so how do we do that? Well, we go and get degrees. We get titles and we get to hear, wow, you're so good. And so idolatry works because it is touchable. It is feasible. You can feel it. And that is why the Israelites were worshipping Ashtoreth and Baal. But in doing that, they abandoned God. You see, spiritual failure begins when we abandon God. Pastor, I, I don't know what you mean. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, when you're a citizen of a country, you are under the jurisdiction of that country. I am a temporary citizen of Indonesia at this particular moment because I have a Kitas. So I'm a resident of Indonesia at this particular moment. So I am being governed by laws in Indonesia. You feel me? You are citizens of Indonesia, so you are being governed by laws of Indonesia. But if you change your passport to a Malawian passport, you are no longer under the jurisdiction, jurisdiction of Indonesia. You have, be, you have entered the jurisdiction of Malawi. So when you change citizenship, you change jurisdiction. So when the Israelites, I'm coming now, when they abandoned God, they changed jurisdictions. God could no longer operate in their life. God was now at a distant distance. You see, when you are a citizen of a particular country and you change citizenship, your former country can no longer help you. They have relinquished responsibility over you and given it to your new country. 
They can hear that you're in trouble. They can hear that things are not going good. But how they will respond is, well, they're no longer our citizen. They are that country citizen. And so when the Israelites abandon God, they're basically saying, God, you can look at us, but you can't touch us. God, you can see us, but you can't touch us. God, you can see what's going on, but you can't touch us because we're no longer under your jurisdiction. And I love God, listen to me carefully, that he will not barge into your life if you abandon him. He will not knock on your door and barge in if you say, God, I don't want you here. God will respect you for the decisions that you make but here is the problem if God is not your God here is the problem if money is your God and it runs out of your life guess what you can pray and pray more money won't ain't gonna come you hear what I'm saying you can pray Lord I need a job but if your job was your God your job will not come back to you this was a problem that God was trying to communicate to the Israelites you can worship Baal you can worship Ashtoreth and it's fun it's nice but when somebody dies in your family Baal and Ashtoreth can't hear you when you become sick Baal and Ashtoreth cannot hear you when you are in trouble they can't deliver and so God is saying to them, you have put me in a place that I can't operate in your life. You have put me in a place that I am no good for nothing in your life. When we abandon God, when we abandon him, we are simply telling him, God, I, I don't need you. I can run my life by my own self. But here's the thing. Many of us, we come to the place where we say, Lord, mm, I need you right now. Lord, I want you right now. But God is always asking, but do I have room to operate in your life? Do I have jurisdiction? Because I function by a jurisdiction system. I need to know that I have license. I need to know that I've been certified to operate in your life. Are you willing to give me that certification and that license? And now I want you to see it right here. The mistake of the Israelites, why they abandoned God. Notice what the text says. It says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. In other words, when Joshua and his brothers had died. Notice this. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. They didn't know the Lord. Now, now I just want to explain that to you. It's not that they did not know the Lord. They knew about the Lord, but they would not acknowledge that he is the Lord. Nor the work which he had done for Israel, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. I'm coming with something here that you need to take uh, uh, to you. You see, the new generation canceled the old generation. The new generation did not have a conversation with the old generation. They canceled them. Instead of conversating with them, instead of learning the ways in which they grew in their faith with God, instead of developing a relationship just like they had developed a relationship, they canceled them. They said, we don't need them. We can do it on our own. They developed new ideas. They developed new traditions without having a conversation with their forefathers, with their spiritual forefathers. And we, we listen. I hear this sometimes. You know, 
I don't like hymns. They're boring. I, I like contemporary music. I, I like it because it's, it's easier. It's fun. I don't like hymns. Canceling your spiritual forefathers. Well, I, I, I want to dress a certain kind of way. I, I, I don't want to be restricted. They used to dress in a funny way. Canceling your spiritual forefathers. I think we need to change how we worship so that it can be nice and, and modern. And how they did it? No, it's not good. Canceling your spiritual forefathers. Now, when you cancel your spiritual forefathers, what you're doing is you are setting yourself up for spiritual failure. Now, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with establishing new methods, new traditions. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we need to do is to have a conversation with our spiritual forefathers so that we can learn how to maintain, how to be faithful to God. I don't think you heard me, Arrivo, so I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to come back to the church one more time. We need to converse with our spiritual forefathers so that before we change a methodology, before we come up with something new, we realize and understand what it takes to be faithful to God. We realize and understand what it takes to remain true to him. Because when we change, just for change's sake, when we do something just because we want to do it, without that proper conversation to really learn how it should be done, to really learn how to be faithful to God, guess what? We set ourselves up for failure. It would be good to talk to your grandmother and your grandfather who have been Adventists for 20 or 30 years. Ask them, grandmother, grandfather, how did you do it? It would be good to read the stories of old and dead Christians like Paul, like Tertullian, and like, like Augustine, and, and Martin Luther, and Jerome, and Chrysostom, these giants of faith, to discover how did they stay faithful to God. Oh yes, it'll be good to have a conversation with LNG White. It'll be good to have a conversation with James White. It'll be good to have a conversation with, with D.L. Moody. It'll be good to talk to the prince of preachers called Charles Spurgeon. It would be good to talk to them. I'm not saying we shouldn't start something new. I'm not saying that. I'm saying whatever we are doing, is it maintaining faithfulness to God? But too many times, we cancel our spiritual forefathers because we think we, we know better. We have, we have grown. We have advanced. Times have changed. Things are better. We are technologically advanced, astute, and all that. <laughs> all that is good. But if we don't learn from the past, we, had, we, we dare to make the same mistakes of the past. Now, you see, I love God because God, even though he may be abandoned... He doesn't stay quiet. You know, God is not passive. God is proactive. Amen. Mm -hmm. look, look at the text. Joshua, Judges 2, verse 14. God's proactivity. Uh, this is what God says. This is what the writer says. And the anger of the Lord. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That's God's response. Because they abandoned him. He was angry. So he, so he, notice 
what God did. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. So they could no longer stand before their enemies. Oof. Guess what God did? God worked against them. You see, when we abandon God, what God does is he works against us. That is, he puts us in a place of disadvantage. Uh, you see, some time ago, I ended a lease. But when I was under this lease, my agent worked to benefit me. My agent bent over backwards to ensure that I had what I needed. My agent would respond to me immediately when I asked her to do something. But when I decided to end the lease, my agent worked against me. She told me, sir, you have this amount of time to vacate the unit. Every day you don't vacate the unit, it's going to cost you 600000 And if you don't vacate, vacate it, I'm going to keep charging you and keep charging you. So you need to go and get out. Now that makes sense because I had changed the terms of the relationship. I had canceled the lease. I was no longer under the umbrella of the lease. Therefore, she had every right to work against me. You see, when we abandon God, what we have done is we have canceled the lease. And we are telling him, Lord, I don't want to operate within the bounds of the relationship that you have established between us. I want to do my own thing. I want to go to another place. I want to do something new. I am not happy with this situation. I want to do something different. God says, it's okay, but I'm going to work against you. You are not going to eat from me if you don't work with me. If you don't sow in me, you're going to reap from me disaster. If you don't allow me to operate in your life, you're going to see things happen. And so when God works against us, he lets us suffer the consequences of our spiritual failures. Because when you abandon God, what you're simply saying is, Lord, I want to fail spiritually. I'm no longer interested in doing what you have called me to do. I will do my own thing. So God says it's okay. Perhaps things are not working in your life because God is the one working against it. I can't get a job. Perhaps God is making you jobless. I can't seem to get ahead. I'm always in debt. Perhaps God is working behind that. I can't remember the last time that I had financial freedom. Perhaps God is working against that. Man, oh man. Nothing is working. Man, oh man. What's going on? 
Man, I used to be here. I used to be, man, I, I used to be fly. I used to be able to travel. I used to, to be able to do stuff. People used to come to me. I had influence. I had it going on. But it's not happening right now. It ain't working. Could it be that God is the one who is operating against you? God is the one who is working against you. He is the one who is spoiling your plans and foiling your plans. Uh, notice what is happening right here. And uh, uh, in, in verse number 15, whenever the Israelites went out, that is whenever they went out to fight, whenever they tried to plan, whenever they tried to make a business deal, whenever they tried to get into relationships, whenever they tried to travel, whenever they tried to do stuff, to build and to expand their portfolio, the Bible says the hand of the Lord was against them. For calamity, for chaos, for destruction, as the Lord has said. Whoa. Check, check this. The Lord had told them, if you abandon me, I'm abandoning you. If you abandon me, I'm going to work against you. And, and, and then God did not only say it, the Bible says he swore it. God says, if you get, go against me, I swear to you today, you're going to suffer. It ain't going to work. And they were greatly distressed. And here is what I need you to see and to understand. You see, they were trying to win physical battles without a proper spiritual foundation. They were trying to succeed in their lives. They were trying to do things in their lives without a proper spiritual foundation. And when we don't have a proper spiritual foundation, when God is not at the base of our lives and he's not at the top of our lives, and if he's not at the front of our lives, if God is not backing us up, if God is not behind us, we are not going to succeed. We're going to fail. We're going to see ourselves frustrated because the foundation is shaken. And you know how it is. When a building doesn't have a foundation, a good foundation, the building cannot stand. And too many of us, we're trying to build our, our lives on a shaky foundation. God is not a part of that. God is not involved in that, but we're thinking we can do it without God. We think we can live without God. But let me tell you, trying to live your life without God is building your life on a shaky foundation and if there's something we need to learn to do is to say you know what Lord I will build my house I will build my home I will build my future I will build my ministry I will build my work on your foundation you can win battles if you don't have a spiritual foundation. I'm not sure what battles you're fighting in your life. Perhaps it is uh, a battle in your house. You're always arguing. You and your, 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 your wife and who you, whoever you love. You're always arguing. Always back and forth. Maybe you need to check the foundation. Because when God is with you, who can be against you? When God is with you, the Canaanites are going to fall. But you see, when you leave God, you're going to see chariots. We talked about this last week. You're going to see chariots and you're going to run away to the mountains. You're going to retreat. You're going to be passive. But when you say, God, mm, I am with you, 
then the battles are going to be won. Perhaps you have battles at work. And, and you're not succeeding. It's not working. Why not check the spiritual foundation? Perhaps you have legal battles. You are in court. Perhaps you need to check the spiritual foundation. Perhaps you have physical battles. You are sick. You're not healthy. Perhaps you need to check the foundation. Is God at the, at the center of my life? Am I fighting my battles with the correct spiritual foundation? Or am I fighting my battles based upon my own foundation that I have built wherever they went? The hand of the Lord was against them. God was working against them. But you see, God just doesn't work against us to mess us up. You know, there are people that can make your life difficult for the sake of making it difficult. Uh, sometimes you, you go to uh, a building and, and you just want to enter. And man, they will put you through so many things. Where's your ID? Where is this? Where is that? And I'm like, man, listen, I just want to get into the building. What's your problem? I'm like, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed or something? I'm like, I don't know what's happening with you, with you but you're just making my life difficult today. Sometimes it is like that. But God doesn't work in our lives to make, a, to make it difficult for the sake of making it difficult. God works in our life for the purposes of getting our attention. Ooh. You see, God works against us to bring us back to him. God works against us to catch us back and say, you know what, my son, my daughter, I need you to come back to me right here, right now. If you have ever rented a car, you'll see that car rentals have put a me me mechanism in place in order to get back their car. Right? That is, when you rent a car, you should be able to bring back the car. But how do they accomplish that objective? That you use their car and bring it back. See, see Donald, how it works is this. When you rent a car, you have to leave an important identification. You have to leave an ID. It's either a passport or, uh, or a, a national ID, whatever, you have to leave it. Because they understand this ID is going to bring you back for you to deliver the car and they will be able to get their car. You feel me? You see, God, in a similar fashion, put in place a mechanism that would allow the Israelites to come back to him. I'm coming. You see, God put in place a system in which he would put them through, check this, discipline, then despair, then deliverance. It was a cycle of discipline, then despair, then deliverance. That is, God would work against them. He would squeeze them. He would make life difficult for them to the place where they felt like, Lord, it's not working. We don't know what to do. Despair. And then when it was so bad, what they did is they cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, please deliver us. Please help us. You see, God will put you through difficult situations. He'll make your life difficult, not because he wants to destroy you, but because he wants to save you.
Not because he wants to destroy you, but because he wants to lift you up. Not because he wants to destroy you, but he wants to help you because he knows that you cannot help yourself. I'm not sure who this is for. I'm not sure who this is going to help. But if you're facing a difficult time, God is behind you. God wants to help you. Do not quit. Do not give up. Simply say, Lord, I'm going to come back to you. Lord, I need you. Lord, please help me. So God works against us to save us. God doesn't want to destroy you. It's never his intention. But he knows if he squeezes and, and cuts off your livelihood, you begin to see where livelihood comes from. You, you start to look up. You know, somebody said, the only way some people are able to look up is when they're laying flat on their back. So sometimes God has to flatten you in order for you to look up. This pandemic has been affecting the world because God wanted us to understand the world doesn't function because of airplanes. The world doesn't function because of visas. The world doesn't function because people are making business deals across continents. The world functions because I am in charge. And I want to let you know that I'm in charge. Therefore, I'm going to inject the world and allow the world to experience a pandemic for them to realize that life hangs in the balance. For them to realize that if I'm not in control... <laughs> Not everything else goes out of control. And so when things are out of chaos, things are not working out, God simply is trying to speak to you and talk to you. I'm not sure where your life is. I'm not sure what you're going through. But if it is difficult, it's a message from God. Don't waste God speaking to you. Don't waste it. And here's a, the, the funny thing, Elder Evil. Uh, we talked about this. You see, they would cry to God for deliverance. And God would raise up a judge, somebody to deliver them. But no, notice this, they would not listen to their judges. I find that to be amazing. Uh, God delivers us through a judge. The method of deliverance, we don't want to listen to it. Isn't that so funny? It's like you going to the doctor. The doctor has the medicine you need to take. But you tell the doctor, I'm not going to take the medicine. I don't want to. The doctor, why don't you want to take them? I don't want to. I think that I can go to, uh, I can go to a pharmacy and get a better medicine that is so much cheaper and it's going to help me out. I'm telling you this because that's what I did one time. I went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed medicine to me. I didn't think that I needed the medicine. So I told the doctor, I don't want the medicine. But then you know what happened? My condition never improved. And when I went back to the doctor, the doctor said, did you get this medicine? I said, well, you know, you know, doctor, I was thinking that, you know, it's not, um, it's, I don't need it because you gave me so much medication. And, and doctor says, but this is the most important medication. This is what you mostly need. And so it's amazing to me that God sends them deliverance, but they don't want to listen to their deliverer. They think that their own thing they think that they can they can live life their own way and lord knows that so many of us are like that that god works in our lives but unfortunately when we have experienced the deliverance and things are good when the reprieve has come when we are no longer in the winter of struggle and we're in the sunshine of ease we say ah 
Well, I think that was actually a tough time. I mean, we all go through tough moments. You know, that was my tough moment. You know, life is back to normal. Uh, in this pandemic, many of us have been saying, when are we going back to normal? May I suggest to you that life may never be back to normal? And that we need to get used to the new normal in understanding that God is the one who is leading our lives and that we should not be up and down with God. We need to be consistent with God. But unfortunately, we act just like Israelites and we go back to the same old things. We are like dogs that eat our own vomit back to the same old habits, back to the old patterns, back to the same cycles, back to the same things. went back they went back they reverted and behaved even worse I'm thinking to myself right here God is so good and here's where we see God's grace because he put up with this he allowed them to go back to this uh, uh, go back again and again and he was there for them again and again and again but I really need you to see this and this is where I want to just flatten the sermon for us right quickly. Yeah, notice what, what the, the text says. It says, and when the Lord raised up judges for them and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of their judge, all the days of the judge, when the judge was dead, they went back. I hope you saw it. As long as the judge was alive, they were faithful to God. But when the judge died, they went back to their unfaithful ways. In other words, they were living on borrowed faithfulness. They were living on borrowed faithfulness. And it is a dangerous thing to live the Christian life on borrowed faithfulness. Because God doesn't want you and me to live faithfully to God because of somebody else. And people joke with me sometimes. Hey, the pastor is here, so please turn it off. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm saying, so if the pastor is not here, you not turn it off? You feel? And, and many of us are like that. Oh, he's around, so let me behave a certain kind of way. That's borrowed faithfulness. She's around, so let me pray. Borrowed faithfulness. He's around, let me pray. Let me go to church. Borrowed faithfulness. Oh, they're around, so I'm going to serve. Borrowed faithfulness. Many times we're living on borrowed faithfulness. But if the person is not around, if the situation has changed, guess what? We're no longer faithful. And it is a dangerous thing to live your Christian life on borrowed faithfulness. And here is the problem of the Israelites. And here is many of our problems. And that is why recycled grace is always working. Because we are living on borrowed faithfulness. And God is saying, when are you not going to live on borrowed faithfulness? When are you going to earn and own your own faithfulness? When are you going to earn it? When are you going to own it? When are you going to be a Christian truly and, and clearly? When are you going to be faithful to God? Because you want to be faithful to God. When are you going to say, you know what, Lord? I will open a bank of faithfulness because I have so much faithfulness. I will help others be faithful to you as well. When are you going to say, Lord, you know what? This year, I will make sure that every day I will pray. Lord, this year, I'll make sure that I pray with my kids and my wife. Lord, this year, I'll make sure that I give to you every tenth of my 
my my income every month lord i will make sure that i will do for you what i've never done before i'm no longer interested in borrow faithfulness i'm no longer interested in simply going because somebody else is going i'm no longer interested in doing because i see others doing i'm interested in doing it because i want to do it i'm interested in doing it because you did so much for me therefore i want to live fully for you we can't live on borrowed faithfulness. We can't. And God knows that. And he knew that the Israelites needed to earn their own faithfulness. So what did God do? He decided to test them by failure. Notice what God says. I will no longer. I will no longer drive out. I will no longer drive out any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so through them I may test Israel. This is counterintuitive, y'all. This is odd. God is saying, I'm not going to take away the temptation. I'm not going to take away the temptation. I'm not going to take away the nations. I will use the temptation to test them. Mm. I will use their struggle to test them. I will use their challenge to test them. I'm thinking to myself, Lord, how I, is it supposed to work that you take temptation and use it as a test? You see, I need you to see something here. You see, the devil will use alcohol, will use tobacco, will use sex to tempt you, to destroy you. But God will take the same things not to destroy you, but to develop you. Oh, I'm coming. You see, God doesn't want you to drink. God doesn't want you to smoke. God doesn't want you to have sex before marriage. He doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't even want you to step out on your wife or your husband. He doesn't want that to happen. But God will use those temptations to develop you. How does God do that? God wants you to say, Lord, I know you don't want me to do this. Lord, I know you don't want me to do that. Therefore, when it comes, I'm going to turn. When it comes, I'm going to go. When it comes, I'm not going to fall because I am not living on borrowed faithfulness. I'm living on earned faithfulness. God wants to test you by your failure to develop you. You say, I'm not sure what you have failed in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what is getting you down. I'm not sure what your struggle is. I'm not sure what your spiritual failure is. But God wants to use it to develop you. So God is not going to take away temptation. Mm -mm, it ain't going. God is not going to take away pornographic sites. They're not going anywhere. God is not going to take away the alcohol. God is not going to take away the skimpy skirts. They're not going to go nowhere. But God wants to see what you're made of. The temptation is not the problem. It's you and me. The temptation ain't the problem. It's you and me. How did Jesus avoid temptation? He was tempted at no point just as, like we are, but he didn't fall. How did he do it? Because it was not the temptation. It was him. Faithfulness was in him. A desire to live for God was in him. Doing right was in him. And therefore, when wrong came across his face, there was no way he could fall. So God doesn't want you to live by borrowed faithfulness. He wants you to be faithful, true and true. 
And listen to me carefully. God is interested in transforming your temptation into a test of faithfulness. He's interested in you overcoming. He's interested in you telling him, God, God, you know, I was tempted to get angry today. But you know what? I kept my cool. I don't know where that came from, but Lord, you gave it to me. <laughs> Lord, you helped me to be faithful. <laughs> you know what I mean? You helped me to give back my 100%. Lord, you helped me to avoid it because I am with you. Lord, you, you, you stepped in for me because hear me carefully. God has downloaded victory through Jesus. Here's what I need you to take. This is the take home today. God says that I may test Israel. He says, I want to test Israel. You know what the name Israel means? Israel means one who overcomes with God. So God says, I'm going to test them because they are going to overcome with me. They're not going to overcome because they have the power. They're going to overcome because I am the one moving them. I'm the one empowering them. And so hear me and let me end it on this. God installed spiritual victory for you through Jesus. Because Jesus is our true Israel. He is our true victor. And if we claim his power and if we believe in him, then whatever temptations come our way, whatever spiritual failures we've gone through, we're going to be able to overcome. God is going to be able to give us the victory that we need. You don't need to be defeated. You don't need to be defeated. You can be a triumphant. I want to be triumphant today. I don't want to fail anymore. I want to overcome and pass the tests that God is going to send my way. Every head is bowed. Every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Heavenly Father, we have heard it. We have learned it. Now, Lord, help us to live it. We want to be victorious. We want to be overcomers. And we know that we can only do that when you are with us. We want to pass the tests that you sent our way. We no longer want to be losers. We want to be winners in you. Thank you for your grace and your power. In Jesus' mighty name, I humbly pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.